Welcome to the EFC Podcast. My name is Karen Stiller. Today, we're happy to have Sid Coop with us. Uh, Sid is Executive Director of Truth Matters Ministries and the Canadian Youth Workers Conference Movement, which encourages and equips youth workers across Canada. Now, Truth Matters is a partner in the Young Adult Transition Research Project, which is underway right now to study the transitions into and out of church for youth after they complete high school, as they enter the next phase in life. Sid, welcome. Thank you so much, Karen. Great to be here. Tell us, first of all, about this young adult transition research. What are you looking into and why does it matter? Yeah, this is this is great. You know, um, Karen, I I was uh, I was part of the group that commissioned the hemorrhaging faith research that came out about five years ago that the EFC actually I mean, that was a that was a research project of the EFC. It was wonderful. And part of what we found there was that um, as far as, you know, continuing on in faith or disengaging from faith and church as well, transitions played a significant role. So what happens during these transitions, Uh, the transition from children's ministry or children's age to junior high, and and then, of course, from senior high to post-secondary experiences. And and so then uh, as we were looking at uh, a possible option for research, and in fact, it was power to change that actually brought up the idea, my friend Anton Lim from Power to Change, uh, asking if we had any um, information on this transition from high school to life after high school. Uh, We didn't. And so that's when um, Aileen actually contacted myself and we put together a team to really take a look at at this transition from high school to post-secondary life. And that post-secondary life includes, you know, um, faith-based education experience, uh, secular education uh, experience or the workforce after high school. And, and we're just trying to ask the question, like, what do we need to be doing uh, pre-transition, mid and post-transition in order to help uh, faith uh, continue to grow um, during that time in particular? So we're really excited about it. Karen, I think it's really needed. We see a significant drop off in church attendance from from young people who have had a significant faith and church experience in high school. And then what happens when they're done high school? So so we're really hoping uh, that this project could um, just help like ministries, uh, families, uh, camps, parachurch organizations, and uh, campus ministries become more intentional and effective in terms of engaging students during this time. I'm going to list off the partners that I know of. Uh, tell me if I'm missing anyone. So Power to Change, yep. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Truth Matters, Youth for Christ, the Muskoka Woods Leadership Studio, and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, okay. so this is a this is a collaboration of six organizations. Uh, but the other thing that's really exciting, Karen, um, is we have huge buy-in nationally. So mm-hmm. we have almost forty denominations that uh, that have been willing to invest in the project in terms of of getting their people to take our surveys. Uh, we have a large number of Christian-based schools, universities that are involved in it, and, and many other organizations as well. So we're really excited about kind of the breadth that this project has engaged. Yeah, that's it's really cool to have so many different groups working together. Um, I'm wondering, uh, like when, so a, a young person who is a Christian and has been very involved and they graduate from high school and they go off to university or college and they're away from home for the first time sometimes, 
isn't it normal for them to, you know, sow some wild oats or <laughs> whatever we call it these days, <laughs> or just stop going to church for a while? But it's, it feels like you're talking about something more than that, maybe. Yeah, I think so, Karen. You know, we are living in a really unique uh, uh, season, I think. And there's certain things that we're discovering that we haven't seen in the same way as we did before. And and so it's been really great. Uh, Rick Heemstra, and you know Rick, is is just a wonderful uh, individual. He's doing, he's really uh, doing the research for us. He is our researcher, but he's also very thoughtful and trying to really understand implications and that sort of thing. But here's something really unique, Karen, that's kind of taking place. So you know, working off the Erickson model of identity formation, we used to say that that a young person kind of transitioned to adulthood around like the uh, 18 years of age, say 17, 18. And the idea being that that they kind of had an understanding of who they were um, and then, you know, how they could contribute to community. And that came out of out of their own community, the places that they belonged in. Okay? And so we saw this shift to adulthood take place there. Now with this really new, um, you know, we would call it the extension of adolescence, where that transition is happening later and later. Here's something we're seeing, and I think this is important for us to understand, that, that, that deep identity formation that comes within the context of community is actually happening more post-high school than during high school. So here's what that means, that we have a lot of students who have left kind of their primary community experience, so let's say the family, that had core you know, values that we wanted to pass on to this group of individuals. And now they find themselves in an environment and community that has completely, that perhaps has completely different values than what they just came out of in maybe the most kind of um, important stage of, of their lives in terms of identity formation. So part of what that means is, is, is we see kind of that time right after high school really important to get to to engage these young people in a in a community that shares the values we want them to have, so a faith based community, uh, so that it can be really powerful in terms of their uh, their shaping experience that they find themselves in. The, the fear is, you know, and 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 some of the research is telling us that if you don't engage a young person within two to four weeks after they've entered university with a faith based community chances are you're not going to get them because their lives pick up speed and they're already embedded in another community that maybe doesn't share your values wow. in this really important forming stage of life. So so that becomes really important. Can I share one other thing, Karen, mm-hmm. um, real quickly about this? Uh, so I was just reading um, a book called iGen by Dr. Jean Twenge out of San Diego State University. And here's something really interesting that she's saying about uh, kind of this generation of high school students or, or and um, post-secondary students. Uh, this is a group of students who are spending, uh, let me see, what did she say? Through high school, they're actually spending less time doing drugs. They're having sex at later time than they have in the last you know, couple of, couple of decades. They're not drinking as much. They're not engaged in, um, they're not working as much outside of school time, so they don't have jobs as much. They're delaying entrance, you know, delaying getting their driver's license. They're delaying a lot of these things that, that in some ways we celebrate, right? Like it's great that they're drinking not as much mm-hmm. and later that they're not doing drugs those early, all that kind of stuff. But here's what's happening. Part of it is is that they're they're being protected from finding themselves in places where they have to take responsibility okay. and make more grown-up decisions. And here's the danger. Once they get out of the home in those protective environments, we're finding themselves entering university and engaging in really um, – 
binging habits mm. that are even more unhealthy because they haven't been properly equipped to handle some of the social pressures that are coming their way. So, so I have quite a few concerns in terms of what's happening in this transition that that might be a little different than what we were seeing even 10 years ago. Okay. So a couple of things come to my mind. First of all, in terms of identity formed in community, how do online communities impact that? Especially social media platforms are playing a significant role in identity formation of young people right now. And of course, we're not the only ones who are suggesting this reality. We're also, you know, uh, other sociologists have, al- have already spoken to this issue as well. Uh, Twangy, in her book, iGen, said that from 2010 to 2016, adolescents who experienced at least one major depressive episode increased by 60%. So we're seeing a significant increase in terms of issues around mental health, fear, and anxiety for our young people. And, and here's what they're saying. They're, you know, they're, they're seeing a direct correlation to the amount of time spent in new media platforms, in particular social media, above two hours a day. So once you hit kind of two hours a day, things start to change for you significantly. And they're just saying that this is creating a lot of problems for this next generation in their journey. So part of it is has to do with their communities, communities again. How do they perceive their communities? So when you're online, you see people presenting themselves in ways that are often unrealistic uh, in terms of how life actually is. But again, that creates this fear of an inability to keep up. Uh, the other piece that we're seeing that's really fascinating, Karen, is, uh, you know, we would say like five or 10 years ago, one of the great fears of a young person is that um, is that they wouldn't measure up economically. So they needed to get a great job so that they could get the finances that they needed to consume what they wanted to consume. Uh, what we're seeing in this generation is it's not so much a fear of not measuring up economically, but rather missing out on the exciting life that's been presented to them oftentimes through social media celebrities. And so the fear is that my life will be mundane. So all of things begin to contribute to the sense of self and purpose. Why am I here? What is the plan for my life? And and we're deeply concerned uh, about what that journey is looking like for our generation. So what is the, can you describe for me what a positive transition period would look like for Um, let's say, let's take my 17-year-old son as an example. He's graduating from high school this year. He wants to go off to university. We force him to go to church every Sunday. Um, I mean, I pull pull him out of bed sometimes and bribe him with McDonald's uh, on the way. 100%. Yeah. So, and I know some people would think that was wrong, but that's what we've chosen to do. Um, And so tell me what a positive transition and outcome would be for a kid like him. And he has grown up going to camp. He is a Christian. He loves Jesus. He's, you know, struggles with going to church on Sundays. But we, you know, we think he's headed in the right direction. But what what is a good process if he goes off to school next year? Yeah, that's a great question, Karen. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you some ideas. I'm hoping that our research and the way we respond to our research will help give us a little bit more clarity on on what actually is making a positive difference. But but it's not, you know, from what we see so far, uh, Karen, it's really not rocket science. Uh, I, I think relationships count so much, you know, and especially mentoring relationships. So we've done a really good job, I think, in the church uh, in, in really restructuring our ministries to facilitate um, older people journeying alongside younger people. I love that. I'm thrilled by that. There, mm-hmm. there are 
many ministries I see anymore that haven't committed to that type of a model in some way, shape, or form. The problem is, is oftentimes when they're, when a student's journey in high school ends at grade 12, so does that relationship, or at least the structures that facilitate that relationship. I think we have to do a much better job relationally transitioning with our young people um, out of high school and into that next phase of their journey. And I would love to see in particular our mentors uh, and of course our families, but, but you and I both know, Karen, that that sometimes in this stage of life, the voice of an older person other than mom or dad can seem to have, you know, incrementally more <laughs> power in the life of the young person. Let's Absolutely. call it what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we would love to see, you know, that type of that, that relationally journeying through the transition, an element of handoff to significant relationships in the next phase where possible. I know Power to Change is doing some great work on this and trying to think through what does that relational transition look like and, and, it, and especially helping them embed in another faith-based community uh, wherever they find themselves. Um, Karen, the other thing that we found really interesting in our um, interviews, uh, and we'll see if it, if it plays itself out in the, in the survey results as well, but students who had at least one year of faith-based post-secondary education seem to be significantly more able to articulate their faith well than many of the students who hadn't had that experience. So, so I think, again, and, and, and you know, part of the reality is is that a faith-based post-secondary educational experience creates the opportunity, doesn't guarantee, but creates the opportunity for that student to find themselves in a community that shares the same values that our churches do. Okay, and let's, so I, I, you know, I think that's something. Let's yeah. define that, Sid. Um, are you, because I don't, I don't think you're talking about a year at Bible college. I, I Tell me what you're referring to. Are you referring to those three months sort of, you know, overseas, um, you know, Cape and Ray style Bible immersion experiences that youth can do in the year between high school and university? I'm suggesting I'm suggesting all of these things. Like, okay. I think the gap year programs are wonderful because, again, you're looking at a you know, we're, we're helping our students transition into adulthood. It's mm -hmm. not that they've become adults and now are being launched, but. But we more and more see this as a part of transitioning into adulthood. So anytime that we can place them in a faith-based community outside the home where they have an opportunity to wrestle with core questions of faith, okay. where they have an opportunity to kind of work through their own personal journeys um, with other significant older people who are modeling and teaching um, the realities of our faith, that can be powerful. So, So whether it's uh, faith-based university, faith-based Bible college, whether it's a Cape and Ray or a YWAM, okay. all of these types of experiences as a part of that transition kind of out of the home or out of the local church context that they've grown up in can be really powerful in forming and shaping a young person at this stage of their journey. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's really, that's great advice. And I will tell you, uh, our daughter did that. She um, is now in her first year of university, but she, in her gap year, did an overseas, you know, three-month Bible college experience. And one of the first things she did when she landed in her campus was to seek out the Christian groups on campus. So it definitely, oh, uh, yeah, worked for her. So there's lots of, um, I mean, it sounds like what what you're going to produce uh, is almost a pathway that 
I think of the sort of a younger generation of parents than I am, for example, it can help them kind of plan ahead and set a direction for their parenting and their kids to help their kids, you know, remain in the faith and remain connected to church. Yeah, you know, you know, Karen, what I really hope will come of this a project is that we'll see kind of all the all the important communities that are investing in our young people will be able to become more intentional in this journey. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that youth ministries will start thinking, hey, what do we need to do pre kind of transition journey to prepare students well for that and families as well? What are some of the things that we need to be thinking about in terms of that preparation? You know, so I think about youth ministries, we probably need to do a better job at helping our students work through some of the um, questions of faith that will come their way from communities that aren't faith-based in nature. Do you know what I mean? So so there's some apologetics pieces, I think, that we probably need to get better at. We need to, we need to do a better job of embedding good faith practices that can help grow the faith of an individual. So modeling and teaching and experiencing some of those things. So, you know, there's things that I think we need to do pre. Um, I'm hoping there's things that we can think through in terms of, of that season of transition. You know, how, how do we, you know, one of the things I'd like to say is how do we encourage small group leaders to not think of their relationship ending in grade 12, but rather maybe structurally ending uh, after one year after grade 12. You know what I mean? So we equip our leaders on how to journey with these people into their next kind of phase of life. So that can look like all sorts of different things. And and then how do we connect like our campus ministries with our families and youth ministries so that we can be already preparing for those students to come into our environments? Now that becomes a little more tricky when you're looking at students that end up in the workforce. But there again, we're talking to churches to say, okay, what does it look like to embrace young adults that are coming into your community or how, how do we engage them? I mean, that's a conversation that we're really trying to wrap our heads around as well, Karen. So, so I think it'll be, I'm hoping it will be really multidimensional. Um, I'm hoping that we think in all three phases, pre, mid and post transition. And, uh, and, and I'm excited about, about seeing, you, you know, so, so in May, Karen, we're going to gather about a hundred ministry leaders from across our country for a first release of the research. Okay. And we hope that this will stimulate you know, thinking amongst organizational leaders uh, about how how could we respond to this, and then a year from you know a year from from May, and we, we this isn't on lockdown, but but what we're looking at doing is in another gathering where we can begin to kind of process you know best practices. What are some structures that have been been put in place? Are are we able to see you know pretty early on, but any type of fruit coming from that? So so I hope that we'll have. Um, you know, my, my prayer is is that this journey uh, will be fairly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like r- really sub, subver- sub, submersive, so mm. a, a larger experience for the, for the faith community together. Um, to be honest with you, um, Karen, my dream is that every five years we would be able to put out some significant research on a topic and then be able to process it as the as the you know as the body of Christ mm-hmm. within our country over the next few years and then ready for the next one. So I hope this is you know if, if hemorrhaging faith was the beginning of kind of good Canadian research and and processing, I hope that this is this can carry on for a number of years to come. That would be my dream. Well, it's pretty exciting that this young adult transition research has emerged naturally out of hemorrhaging faith as one of the questions you know to pay attention to. So that's pretty cool. Hundred percent. It's yeah. great, and you know, every time we do one of these projects, 
you know, maybe in some ways we end up with more questions than answers, but that's good. That continues to focus us and, you know, think through how can we faithfully engage this current context that God has placed us in, has Mm -hmm. sovereignly placed us in. How can we be more faithful to steward this opportunity he's given us? And I think that's what research does for us. Yeah. Well, Sid, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm, I'm so honored to be a part of this journey with such wise, articulate um, men and women who are doing wonderful kingdom work. This is a real gift for me personally, to be honest with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.